Could we kneel for prayer? Lord, our hearts are open again to you tonight and turn towards you as we think of the think tonight of the prophet Isaiah when he saw you high and lifted up and the train filling the temple and the ones flying and crying, holy, 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 thrice holy, uh, thrice holy God. Lord, we ought also to worship before you on our knees. Lord, we want to come and give you thanks, and we want to desire to stir up within us desire tonight. Lord, I pray that you'd be with this flock. Lord, I don't know who all has come here thinking haphazard thoughts, purposeless thoughts, just moving along on time aimlessly. Pray that you'd interrupt that tonight, that you'd begin to put in our hearts purpose and understanding that there's a real reason we're here. We're accountable for being here. And the future is going to be dramatically affected by what we do with this word. Father, I pray that you'd give to the church seers, Men, women, young people that see that the eyes are not clouded by the temporal, but that there be that wonderful blessing that comes with your presence, that ability to see. And Father, I pray that you would give to this church leaders. Lord, those that are leaders tonight, that you would open eyes. Lord, I don't know where all my eyes need open. I pray, Father, that we'd be able to see that you, who are a visionary God, would give us a vision this night. And I pray, Father, for every young man that's here, that there would be a fire kindled in their hearts that they would aspire to serve the God of heaven with all their might, their soul, their strength. Lord, I pray, especially if there's some minister's sons here tonight, that they would realize the privilege they have, the opportunity they have to follow not only in their physical father's footsteps, but spiritual also. Lord, raise up a mighty army of men and women that are passionate for you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, there may be some time that I'll have more insight into this subject, but I've pondered some why it isn't, why it is that not more ministers' sons are ministers. I don't know that I know the answer. 
to those things. But if you're a minister's son here tonight, I'd like to um, just say that you've had an opportunity that some young men would covet to have. I believe there's a tremendous blessing from the Lord on sons who follow their father's footsteps, even in aspiring to the ministry. Now, I would say that despite the sad things that have happened in the Mass family in Ohio, one thing that has stirred deeply in my heart is the fact that in that church and churches there, they've had three generations of preachers, from Dan Mass to David Mass to, is it Jared? Third generation, it gives me the goosebumps. Somehow, I believe it'd be God's will that the mantle of the call of God that falls on fathers would somehow fall on the sons and the grandsons to the glory of God. One of the reasons that I believe that it doesn't maybe fall more on sons and follow that heritage is because children in the home see firsthand some of the struggles that preacher dad or deacon dad goes through. I just want to assure you tonight that the congregation doesn't understand the pressures that come on your pastors and deacons. And sometimes, because of love of ease, sons don't put on their armor of battle for the Lord and say, I want to be at least as good a preacher as dad is and better if God gives me the grace to do it. Not in the flesh, but in the spirit. I was in prayer quite a few years ago and I had a somewhat of a vision as I was there struggling up a hill and I was downhill And here came my son in from the side and went ahead of me considerably up the mountain ahead of me. And I was thrilled. My son hasn't had the things to work through that I have of my past and sinfulness. He's had his own. But may the Lord fulfill that vision. The title to the message this evening is Your Church Producing Leaders. 
Bottom line, God is a leader. God is a pastor. Psalm 23 says, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. And the church, every church needs leaders and shepherds who yield their lives to walking with God and seek to raise up a strength of spiritual life, not only in their own households, but in the lives of the congregation that they're well-nourished and well-fed and stimulated to rise up and put me out of a job. I have aspired for that for some years. I don't know if it's going to happen. But because there has been a burden and a vision at the Church at Liberty to produce preachers and ministers and missionaries that are able to not only bless the local congregation, but to go out and bless others, I have a freedom to try to do that here this weekend. There are brethren that have the call of God on their lives and are bending their energies in that direction. And I think one of the reasons that um, minister's sons Oh, am I riding your case too hard? But one of the reasons that minister's sons don't um, bend their, uh, don't excel more towards the ministry is that they don't bend their energies in that direction. I don't know what all reasons there are for that. But um, that same then spills also possibly into the rest of the congregation. The one reason that not more young men aspire to the ministry of older men for that matter is that you don't admire your pastor. Why do I say that? Because those that admire their pastor want to be like their pastor. Those that admire a missionary, they try to be like that missionary. Those that admire some show star, They begin to model their lives somewhat in that direction. And I will acknowledge that the ministry brings, the work of the ministry brings a certain amount of trouble to your life and your household. It is inevitable. But Paul says that the things that he suffered for the ministry's sake, they didn't dare compare to be even on the, on the, on the weight, on the balance, that the weight of glory that was going to come for having served the Lord Jesus in this bracket. It, it does not even worthy to be compared. I just like to encourage you brothers that have been faithful here and plodding along and working along to gather fresh vision. Gather fresh courage and lead the church and raise up leaders in the congregation. I'm afraid I won't make it through my (laughs) information tonight. Let us go to 2 Peter chapter 1. You have to forgive me if if some things are a little bit scattered and um, redundant here. Because, um, well, when you speak 
um, several times close together, things start getting mixed up uh, a little bit. Second Peter chapter one, verse three through nine. Excuse me. Um, this is a good place to start. Well, I don't think we're going to spend a lot of time here right now. And we want to begin in verse 3, chapter 1, verse 3. According as his divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness through the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory and virtue, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. And beside this, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, and to virtue knowledge, and to knowledge temperance, and to temperance patience, and to patience godliness, and to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness charity. For if these things be in you and abound, they make you that ye shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But he that lacketh these things is blind and cannot see afar off and hath forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. Wherefore the rather give diligence, rather brethren, give diligence to make your calling and election sure. For if you do these things, you shall never fall. And I just like to begin this or continue on here. I guess I already began this, uh, this conversation, these thoughts here with the need for maturity. If you pursue maturity because of the position and the prestige and the opportunities that it will give you, it is not going to come out right. You need to uh, seek to be a church that produces leaders because you have mature men and women who walk with God in your conversation. If that congregation, if that is not the aim and the ambition of knowing God and walking with God, things can go very awry. And I'm just speaking about raising up leaders in your congregation. There has been a lot of evil that has happened to the church when someone gets the idea, the conviction, the uh, thought that I've been called to the ministry and begin to push themselves forward. It does not come out right. God told Saul of Tarsus when he called him, he says, I'm going to show him. I've called him to this work. Basically, I'm going to show him what all he's going to suffer for uh, the sake of, of my, of my uh, kingdom here. That's not exactly the words that he used, but he's going to show him uh, what all. And so Paul had this burden. He had this conviction and he began to preach Jesus immediately. And God had called him to the ministry. But it was quite a few years later that Barnabas went to Tarsus to seek Saul. And so you have there a call from God and you have a call from the church. And there have people had clashes with the current ministry, clashes in the congregation and a whole lot of struggle because they were after a place and recognition and prestige. Men who are much smarter and more gifted than me have withered along the way because this person was in the focus. What we just read here, that God, his divine nature, would be imparted to us and work in us 
And though we serve as following him, the focus is not on us and how well we're doing. The focus is on God's flock. I so well remember soon after I was ordained, I remember where I was. I don't remember exactly what I was doing. I was in a cantaloupe field. And I don't know what I was thinking, but it couldn't have been good. Because uh, all of a sudden, the Lord spoke to me just like that. You were not ordained because you're somebody special. I love my people. I want you to look after my people. Oh, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. And I just wanted to say that here because there are many evils that take place in a church when this whole wrangling for leadership begins. It's not of God. Let God and others promote you. Just be prepared. Walk with God and God will find a place. And if nothing else, it's just going to be so wholesome for your godly example in life that has vision and fruitful relationships in it for that presence to be in this church is going to be enormous. It's going to be enormous. Very beautiful opening. Uh, every time here that's been shared, I haven't made much comment on it. I've been too full of other things, but it's been very good. I want to bless the young brother that brought this, this very good um, good opening. You keep on. You uh, seek to feed your family, those that are close to you, in the word of God. And the Lord will, Lord will bless that. <clears throat> well... I'm going to start reading some of my notes here. Has this church had the burden that we would produce preachers and teachers that would be able to be sent out by the church to encourage in other places or stay and replace the current ministry with the same passion and purity to edify the local congregation? Oh, that the church could be seen by our young and not so young men as worthy of my life and devotion as the habitation of God among a virtuous people. Do you aspire to be an able communicator of the word of God? Do you think about it, pray about it, read about it, long for it, make practical note what to avoid in exercising it? Do you, young man, long to be a vessel through which God could flow to the edification of another? just want to ask you a question. What would happen in this brotherhood if suddenly the elders... Especially we're just taken out of it. Would this church continue on with the same vision and passion that's on these brothers' hearts? If it wouldn't, there's some disconnect somewhere. God intends for his people to be seers. Well, if you're going to make leaders... Number one, we must recognize that we need leaders. Turn to Matthew chapter 9. This is the passage here where Jesus looked at the multitude and said, Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest, that he send forth labors into his harvest. But I don't know if you noticed what those people were like. In Matthew chapter 9 and verse 35 through 38. And Jesus went about all the cities and villages teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. Then saith he unto his disciples, the harvest truly is plenteous. 
but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. Now, when I agreed to come here to um, Iowa for this weekend, I had no thought of preaching this message. But as time went on, this subject kept coming to my mind. And this subject kept coming to my mind. And I says, hmm, wonder if the Lord wants me to speak on that subject out there. I don't know. I don't know what, what it's like here. I, but this subject kept coming. And so here we are. When Jesus looked at these people, he wasn't looking off at far off Africa. He wasn't looking over to Canada or to Timbuktu. He was right there in Israel. And he saw the, the people there scattered. How did Jesus describe these people? They were fainting. These people were discouraged, disillusioned, and unguided. They had no shepherd. That means they were vulnerable. They were undefended and unfed. Jesus was referring to a local harvest when he said in verse 37 and 38, The harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. Is the church and its pastors viewed as something we need desperately or is it just a social club? Is the church and its pastors and the oversight that the pastors provide for the church here, is it seen as something that's very necessary, as very critical if we're going to make it to heaven? Or are we just a social club and the pastors, and when they have concerns and they speak into situations and they try to bring uh, guidance um, uh, into the congregation. How is that viewed? I don't know how you view it. They haven't told me. Is it received with, oh, I didn't realize that the danger we're in here. Thank you for guiding us in this matter. Oh, I, I didn't realize. Or is it, whose business are you minding? We're all the Lord's people. And all of us are holy. I'm priest in my home. You leave your fingers off of it. Every person in the church should see clearly by the influence of God upon the heart. This had to do with attitudes and values and choices. Every person in the church should see clearly. But leaders need clarity, godliness, holiness, and clear application of what they see. In some settings, you know, the pastor is considered, the pastors, they're considered responsible to see to it that when uh, people gather on a Sunday morning that, um, you know, that there's an interesting sermon and, uh, and woe to the pastor who is um, uninteresting and boring, um, you know, and, and so his job is to make sure that we'll wear well entertained and that they're eloquent in their delivery and uh, such like, but these people here that Jesus was referring to, they were scattered abroad and as sheep having no shepherd and they were fainting. And so one of the great 
needs that we have for pastors in our day, and it's been that way all throughout history. We could refer to uh, the people of Israel when they had good godly leaders, and when they didn't have leaders with vision, what happened to the nation? And the same thing happens to uh, the people of God in churches as they have leaders that have a clear vision and set a clear course and tell the people, this is the way. God is saying this is for us today and this is the way that we should go and this is the way we should walk in this direction. And these leaders need clarity. They need to be able to see into the issues of what's going on, not just, well, that's sort of strange. I never saw that before. Where'd that come from? We got a lot of that nowadays. Leaders need clarity and godliness and holiness and clear application of what they see. Unclear Saul, unclear ungodly Saul, Saul the first king, had a man named Doeg who slew the Lord's priests. There you have an example of an ungodly man. He did not see clearly. He was not obedient to the prophet. He was not obedient to the word of the Lord. And this king had with him a ungodly man, Doeg, who had the courage, the ungodly, unholy courage to slay the Lord's priests with a sword, wiped out a whole city of them. Compare that with clear godly David who turned 600 roughnecks into a principled army that had faith. I mean, these men went running down out of, out of Israel, down here to David in the hold, and they joined him, everybody that was oppressed and was in debt, and, and you know, anybody that was in trouble, they went down here to David. And somehow this man who had the fear of God, who had the faith of God, and had the spirit of God, turned these roughnecks into men of faith, so much so that even willful Joab, Years later, as they found the enemy on this side and on this side, they divided up the army with his, his older brother, and they divided the army, and he says, Fight valiantly and let the Lord do as seems him good. Even Joab, who had some strikes against him. And you can go read of all of that. But I'm just saying that when we need men who have a clear vision, who have a clear uh, desire welling up within them to please God in all things. And they study the content and the passages of this Word of God. And there's a whole lot more in this that gets caught than is necessarily just taught. And you learn some things about how God thinks and how godly values. You study the life of David and you see how he acted. You don't have any direct command. You know, do this and don't do this and don't do this. But it seems he understood and he had the spirit of wisdom and he made the right decision. And I mean, they had Saul there. He was fast asleep and Abishai, he had the sword and he says, let me strike him just once. All it takes is once. And David said, no. No man can raise his hand against the Lord's anointed and be guiltless. No. Get his water bottle and his spear. Let's go. And the Lord gave him a deep sleep over there. But I'm just talking about a man who saw with such clarion clear that It was no mystery why the Lord blessed that man. And Israel, I don't know, ever had another king. Solomon in his glory was not the king that David was before he sinned. David brought Israel from scrambling and being oppressed and all bewildered. David brought that nation of Israel up to heights spiritually and socially and and overcoming. David never lost one battle. He's a tremendous inspiration to me. 
but he got clarity from God. And if ever the church needed men who see clearly, it's in the day we live in. And it would be a joy to my heart to somehow contribute to the stirrings of God in the hearts of these brethren here and in your hearts to raise you up, to serve God, to do and dare, and to not wither under the frown of men's displeasure. Guess what? There are still people in this land that are hungry to be shepherded and hungry to be fed. At home, we very much need the brothers to help us in the work of the ministry. Though a number of them are not ordained, we've had some situations where um, we've just needed to pull other brothers in. Brothers that walk with God, would you fill this bracket in ministering to this struggling family? Or would you hold this young man accountable and talk with him regularly? We can't reach around to everything, but would you stay on clear contact with this brother and help him through his difficulties? Sisters, the work of the ministry, it becomes so broad. Everybody's not going to be ordained, doesn't need to be ordained. But for every one of us to have the heart that says, I would love to help that struggling soul. Oh, I got my own struggles. I've passed through struggles. I know what it's like to be in struggles. And maybe they'd help me too. And it might work both ways. And strong bonds and friendships develop in a congregation that operates that way. But it's not going to happen if there's pushing and shoving against administration that's already here. I don't know if you can see the need that there is in the kingdom of God for men to be seeking God for a vision, to pour out their lives for something that's worthwhile, to some days not even hit a lick as far as work, physical work is concerned. I love getting my hands on things and doing things. And sometimes it's a struggle to have passed the whole day and I can't see my eye with my eye what I accomplished this day. But oh, what a reward to call this person up. Well, how has the week been going for you? Well, we've been getting strength and we've been finding vision and we've been, we, uh, we talked with our daughter about this thing here that, you know, we've been struggling, parents have been struggling and we, we took our daughter and, and had a talk with her and it went well. Oh, my heart just lifts and strengthened. Clarity always comes with a price. You must walk with God, and you and I must have pure hearts. But we all with open face, beholding as in a glass, the glory of the Lord are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord, 2 Corinthians 3.18. We must recognize that we need leaders. Number one, if the church is going to be raising up leaders. Number two, if you would... Excuse me. If you would produce leaders, the church must be the present habitation of God. The church must be the present habitation of God. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19 through 22. These verses have been life-changing to me. You know, for years, I have heard that the main reason that the church is still here 
is to um, evangelize the lost, to win the lost. And uh, that's the only reason we're left here. Well, I'm not going to knock that all down. But here's a little what happens. As you reach out, if that's the only reason that you're still here, then results, by all means, are a must. And so we try to evangelize here. Well, they're not really interested. You know, one of the things we've been doing uh, back home there is taking a, a tent and setting up in the nearby towns and places. And then we uh, gather together. Um, there's two brothers that are, are, are in charge of the evangelistic outreach, and they organize this. And um, they are doing a good job. But these two brothers, they uh, get all the literature together, the booklets. Did Jesus really say that? And um, uh, flyers uh, uh, advertising the weekend and uh, get a map of the town of Liberty, for instance. And then uh, we get together as many as are possibly able on a Sunday afternoon before the meetings on Friday and Saturday night in the coming week. And we uh, go throughout that town and, and try to get to every house and give them a flyer and a booklet if they're interested in reading it or if they have any interest in it and uh, invite them to those meetings. And then they come there and um, I haven't preached at one of those tent meetings yet. There's um, been some young brothers that have done some of that preaching, and there have been some older brothers that have done some of that preaching, but uh, they are taking this, and there's evangelism going out from um, that, that um, there's been three weekends now, one a month, and we're skipping July and then taking it up again in, in August, and the uh, ministry has blessed these brothers to do that, to do that work, and they check with us if there's anything and, uh, and what have you, but um, a tremendous opportunity and so um, if that place were not in a measure, the habitation of God, where people are able to spread out and work in this way, there would be very limited what would be able to be happening. But um, these verses right here in second chapter of Ephesians here have been life-changing. In verse 20, it says... Uh, Let's go to verse 19. Now, therefore, ye are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God, and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom all the building fitly framed together groweth unto an holy temple in the Lord, in whom ye also are builded together for a habitation of God through the Spirit. If this church is going to be producing mature men and women, going to be producing leaders, this church has to be the present habitation of God. A place where God is pleased to dwell. God wants a place on earth that He can dwell He wants a place in every community where he can dwell, where the things that happen there are just like what would happen on the whole earth if the Lord were still the king of the whole earth and Satan, if humanity hadn't fell and the values and the relationships and the things and the care. Do you know that if uh, the whole world lived as the church ought to live, that there would never be another war fought? Anybody, there'd never be another advantage taken of people. Everybody that's in trouble, the whole church gathers together and helps them out and bails them out of their difficulty, cares for them, ministers to their needs. They're fighting in war and all the trouble in the world would cease 
And then God wants this to be a replacement society where he can dwell in free course in the hearts of the whole congregation. Out of that then flows evangelism. And people won't necessarily be discouraged if there's not a lot of people getting saved because we're walking with God. God dwells here. God is ministering to us. When we have difficulties and problems, God gives us answers through the body. The habitation of God. <clears throat> he wants a people where he can rest easy. He wants a place that he does not, is not stirred up with jealousy in his heart. Where God dwells, he is able to evangelize and all else. What we want to be is a habitation of God, a place where God dwells together with us to where he's able to move us as a unit to be involved in this work and that work and local work and able to meet the needs of the people that are right here in our own congregations. I suspect you might have some hurting folks here. I don't know. An observation. People either don't get concerned about their hurts and and their struggles and everything and gloss it over and somewhat live uncaring lives for the present. Either that or they get so entangled in their own struggles and their own problems and everything that they never can go forward and prosper. God wants to take people from the local congregation to minister and meet needs within the local congregation, so much so that others say, well, you know, Zion down there, I've heard say you can get some help for what's bothering you down there at Zion. Can can we go visit down there and see what's happening down there at Zion? Uh, I've heard say that you can feel God there when they gather together. You know, it's actually said about Fanny Crosby. That people in that congregation could tell when she came into the audience without ever seeing her. There was such an aroma, such a sense of God's presence that came into that place. Would God, that were the atmosphere of every congregation. What happens is a lot of trouble. And people no longer want to get close to each other. And put that smile on. Doing fine. Doing fine. While everything is not fine down here. And I'm not suggesting wearing our feelings on our sleeves. I'm talking about actually getting to know one another and walk with one another together with God and seek Him for answers. A threefold cord is not easily broken, and the congregation needs that third cord. We need more than a social club. We need the presence of God. Here in verse 22, it says, In whom ye also are builded together for habitation of God through the Spirit. We have some construction people here tonight. In verse 21, In whom all the building fitly framed together groweth what's fit framing mitre Mitre. 
you use a miter saw, you might cut it off. Tenon. Tenon. I'll ask you a question. Are you willing to be cut off to make room for your brother? A two-by-four that's fitly framed isn't just in its original condition, eight foot long. I was created eight foot long. You can't cut me off to put me in a fitting wall. You got to make the wall bend over me. I, you won't cut me off. But to be fitly framed together means I might have to be shortened a bit to fit properly in my place. Ouch. Sounds good when you're framing, but fitly framed together, built together, a holy habitation of God. We're talking of things that are painful in a way, but they only bring death to that which damages and harms. God wants a place to live, and he's interested in fitly framing it together. A holy habitation of God. Is God living here? I want to encourage you that God is a leader. And where he lives, he stirs up leaders. Men who look to God. Men who see current issues clearly and know how to encourage and how to warn. I just This comes right here to me. I want to show you something in Acts chapter 20. Can I find it? Yes, Acts chapter 20, verse 31. Jesus, uh, Peter, uh, sorry, Paul is speaking to the Ephesian elders here in Acts chapter 20. And he says in verse 31, Therefore watch and remember that by the space of three years I cease not to warn everyone night and day with tears. Well, that would sound almost like a melancholy pastor, wouldn't it? But Paul said, I warned you, and day and night, or night and day, I warned with tears. How would Paul fare here? Would his warnings and his concerns go unheeded, or would they be heard? Men who see current issues clearly and know how to encourage and to warn. Men who follow other godly men and have learned and caught their spirit, their humility and practical application that they have gotten from God, their leader. Men who follow other godly men. You may object to that. You'll hear more of it tonight. Number three, if the church will have leaders, it must not view the need for maturity in light of usefulness. And we read that passage there in Second Peter, uh, and I'd like to refer to it again here. Second <clears throat> Peter 3, I'm sorry, Second Peter 1, in verse 3 through 9, and we read it here. I'm just going to refer it to it by verse here. In Second Peter three, in verse Second uh, Peter one, verse three, it says, "According as His divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness, through the knowledge of of Him that hath called us to glory and virtue." You know, we have homes, and in our homes we have various items. And probably a young couple that's maybe struggling a bit financially, they're going to have the bare basics in there. They have them a 
bed, maybe on a stand. Maybe they have a headboard and a footboard. I don't know where you start here. But as the years go by, they probably carry various knickknacks into that house and various things that make it serviceable and, and a, a good, nice house that's uh, nice to live in. And, and, you know, it's not just the bare basics anymore. How about our Christian life? You know, in the beginning, we get started with somewhat the basics. You know, we need salvation. We need peace with God. We need to be able to pray. We need to have discernment to be able to make some decisions. But as the years go by, has your Christian life been beginning to take on some glory? Some of God's glory coming into your home, into your spiritual life. Are you carrying into your spiritual home, if you will, things that are of glory and of virtue? If we're only here to be saved until we're carried off to yonder, and meantime, well, you know, we got to live somehow, you know, we just got to, you know, haphazard. It isn't going to come out right. The church will need leaders, and it must not view the need for maturity in light of usefulness. God has called us in verse 3 to glory and virtue. This is our aim, to have a rich Christian experience, to have... Uh, not just the bare, ho-hum, basic things to talk about, but things new and old that you find in your own Bible reading. I hope you're reading through the Bible every year from beginning to the end. You can do it. <clears throat> Abner Showalter could come and, and uh, share some of that. Um, and, you know, <clears throat> he, as he was talking to us about our devotional life there back in January, he had this poster of this starving child in one of the other uh, countries. And this person, you know, you see his ribs. They're all just, you know, under the skin. You see his ribs, and he's extremely skinny and uh, emaciated. And he says, um, you know, you can tell, and he held up this poster for all to see, and he said, you can tell that he hasn't been uh, without food as much as, uh, as this person here. And he says, but many people look that way spiritually. They're just, you know, there's just bare bones. They're skin and bones. And there's nothing extra uh, spiritually. But if you are in the word of God and you're praying regularly and you're interacting with other brothers and sisters on a spiritual level, you will be gathering together things to carry into your spiritual house that will enrich your lives. Number uh, verse four here. It's I have here. God will fulfill exceeding great and precious promises if we actually become partakers of his divine nature. How are we going to become partakers of his divine nature? Probably patience is something that I've had uh, more struggle with than um, most. We've been reading. I referred to that um, Howard Bean, that devotional. And uh, he talks about the fruit of patience. And how. Beautiful the fruit of patience is. And the exhortation to patience. And he wrote in there, he says, it's usually the little things that tick us more than big things. He says, we can sit on a mountain, but not on a pin. And it's little things that irritate us. And said this person um, was going through into a, um, a busy intersection, and right at the light, his car stalled. 
And despite all his efforts, he was not able to start that car up. And the light turned green and the horns started going behind him. And his horns are going like everything. And after futilely trying to start this car, he gets out of his car and he goes back to the nearest driver back there and says, I just really can't seem to get my car started. It stalled for me. But as I tell you what, if you'll go up and give it a try, I'll stay here and blow your horn for you. I say patience. Oh, my patience. I, my hair would have stood up already. What little there is there. And here this man talks about such godly fruit to be carried into a Christian life as patience that's able to respond in that kind of manner. He moreover, he says patience in another article. He says patience is something that you can appreciate in the person behind you, but not in the person ahead of you. And I'm pondering this. And this has to do exactly with the fruit of the Spirit and partaking of His divine nature. But if we're satisfied with just an experience and salvation, we're not going to grow in grace. And if we are only trying to grow in grace so I can have some kind of a ministry that gets attention, it is not going to come out right. We must seek to grow in maturity, spiritual maturity, because it's good and right and godly to be growing. Also, in the last part of verse 4, it says, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. That's another reason to grow in grace. Then we have three verses of growth in all holy virtue, which results in brotherly kindness and charity. And uh, these verses troubled me some in the past because I uh, didn't know how to add to this and add to that. I thought uh, I had to get all all my faith all laid out before I could uh, add virtue to my faith. And, and you know, I get virtue all uh, narrowed up and, you know, got it all under control here. And then I get knowledge, you know. But, excuse me, these verses basically are just implying that we should be a growing people. I think the oldest man of God that still longs to continue to grow is going to be a fruitful person all the way to the end of his life. In verse 8, we have a fruitfulness. In this person who has grown in this holy maturing in the Lord Jesus, they may not appear very useful or may never preach a message, but their godliness would deeply affect the church. It would deeply affect the church. In verse 9, But he that lacketh these things is blind and cannot see afar off and hath forgotten that he is purged from his old sins. It doesn't sound very good. The person who lacks its growth loses their way. They'll be blind, short-sighted, and gets back into his old sins. Personal growth continuing is imperative. You and I must continue to grow spiritually. Oftentimes, there are at least two things that are involved in growth. It has to do with reading. Readers are leaders. But the other is that continue allowing the work 
of humility in the Holy Spirit continue to refine their character. You know, people that know so much that have unrefined character do a lot of damage in the church because there's a superiority that comes. There may be many reasons. But on one hand, you need information. On the other hand, we need a godly example and the ability to walk. If we go for usefulness, we will soon pursue what gets results and make shipwreck. We must maintain godly integrity, though people like in the day of Noah walk away. Though Lot walks away from Abraham and goes down there and things didn't go too well for him, we must maintain godly integrity and leave the results of the ministry up to him. If the church will have leaders, number four, it must be making disciples. Let's go to Matthew chapter 28. I believe this is my last point. I don't know what time it was when I started. Bear with me. If the church will have leaders, it must be making disciples. Matthew 28, verse 18. And Jesus came. This is after his resurrection. Verse 17 says, And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. Here in verses 19 and 20, Jesus tells his disciples to go into all the world and make other disciples. Teaching. This is instruction, education, and information. But the expectation is in verse 20. It says, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. And here is a beautiful Manner of transmission. Jesus walked with his disciples, taught them, showed them. They were together constantly and various times when they were alone, he taught and admonished them. They received his teachings, his values and manner of life completely. Jesus says here in these verses, you go repeat that. You go walk with others and teach them what I've taught you here. What? Did Jesus teach us? So here we are to transmit what Jesus taught us and the things that we learn from Jesus ourselves in our time, for our time, and transmit that to somebody else. Here's something, young man, that you want to watch. Don't make this mistake. Here's a need in your life, young man. Not so young man. Practical discipleship. And so, well, how is this supposed to work? We're supposed to ferret a few out no this should be the expectation of the congregation here these brethren who already are leading here are responsible here for the flock and according to hebrews 13 are going to give an account for those under their care they get things from god they get things from the word of god 
And in their clear seeing, they make application to biblical principle. I trust that they do. And give guidance to the flock. And I believe that it's God's will that the congregation in sweet harmony looks to God, looks to their leaders, and says, I'll follow that. You think this is the wrong direction? Okay, I'm not going there. What do you think we ought to do? What have you been hearing from God? What are the manner of things that you've seen throughout the years of your ministry? What have you seen go wrong? Are we in danger of that? Oh, I'm going to listen to what you have to say. If Jesus were here, would you? But we're afraid of putting men in that big of responsibility because we've all been hurt. Well, that being hurt may well have had to do something with this fellow's response to God-given authority. may not be too comfortable right now. That's what I understand this passage to be teaching. If I am going to give account for someone else's soul, and I don't have the freedom to come and practically address needs in the congregation, my hands are tied. And I'm going to end up giving account before God with grief. It didn't work. We tried. <laughs> On the other side, if there are humble, open pastors here, they clearly invite, you see a need in my life? You see where I've erred? You're welcome to come talk to me about it. Yeah, I'd encourage you to be respectful, but I want to hear you if there's somewhere where I'm missing it. Would that be okay? The Pharisees came to Jesus and said, Why is it that the disciples of the Pharisees and the disciples of John, they fast, but your disciples are not fasting? Who'd that fall on? Jesus. He said, Can the children of the bride chamber fast while the bridegroom is with them? But the day is going to come when the bridegroom's going to be taken away and they'll fast in those days. What I'm saying is that what the disciples were doing, they were doing in direct expression of being guided by Jesus. And I really think that a practical application of these things where hearts are opened one to another and a realization, there's some brethren given responsibilities here. And they have a value system that I'm trusting they're getting from God. And their responsibility is that they are seeing for me 
as well as for themselves and others. It doesn't diminish my own need to see. But see, I can comfort my own heart that I've heard from God, you know, know, I checked inside and I felt real good about this decision. Uh, But it doesn't look so good on the outside. But, you know, you can't say anything about it because God gave me peace. It doesn't bother me that I'm doing this. And it's directly, it's not walking in unity together in a like-minded expression as a brotherhood. I'm going to suggest that if this church is going to make leaders, it has to make disciples. Listen to these verses that define discipleship. I'm going to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians 2 and verse 19 through 23, Paul speaking of Timothy. But I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timotheus shortly unto you, that I also may be of good comfort when I know your state. For I have no man like-minded who will naturally care for your state. For all seek their own, not the things which are Jesus Christ's. But ye know the proof of him, that as a son with the Father, he hath served with me in the gospel. Him, therefore, I hope to send presently, so soon as I shall know how it will go with me. Excuse me. You know that the proof of him, in verse 22, that as a son with the Father, he hath served with me in the gospel. Verse 20. For I have no man like-minded who will naturally care for your state. You see, Paul had a burden and a passion for other people and how they were doing. And this Timothy came alongside and so took up his burden and his vision that Paul could send him over there. He said, he understands how I think, how I work, and what my value system is. And he's so like-minded that he will naturally take care of matters the way they ought to be taken care of. That's a disciple. That's a disciple. Listen to this one. Philippians 4 verse 9. Those things which ye have both learned and received and heard and seen in me do. And the God of peace shall be with you. What? Oh, come on now. But Paul unashamedly says, the things that you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, do them. Imitate me. Oh, but we're supposed to be imitators of Jesus. Well, indeed. If this congregation does not have the assurance that these brethren that are responsible in leading here, that they are being taught by Jesus and are being discipled by Jesus through his spirit and through his word, through prayer, you better not stay here. If you don't have the confidence that they're going to speak into your lives, similar like Jesus would or Paul would, You've learned some things and received and heard and seen in me. You imitate me. And I was having a meeting with a young man and, and um, he didn't like too good what I said about this. I told him, I says, I freely invite you to imitate your life after the three elders in this church. You take their, their, their values, the emphasis of their lives, 
unashamedly. I invite you to follow us as we seek to follow Christ. Now, you know, may not like that too good, but you miss this one and there's not a measure of respect that rises for what God wants to do among us through what he has established I know these brothers are not perfect and they're going to make some mistakes but I think they're going to be open to be responsive to those mistakes if there's not a measure of this going on here You're not going to make it as a church. Philippians chapter 2, verse 2. You may not want me to preach in the morning. But these are the things that uh, the Lord's been laying on my heart. Philippians 2, verse 2 says, Fulfill ye my joy, that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Brethren and sisters, I don't know how to get more biblical than that. I mean, I am reading from the very words of Holy Scripture. And it says, Fulfill ye my joy, that ye be like-minded, If this congregation is going to prosper, there needs to be some like-mindedness here. Now, if you're going to be like-minded, there is going to take some effort to understand one another and going to take some effort to think alike and be concerned alike and value alike. And you... Turn these pages and you find more verses that emphasize that. If we believe salvation is hinged on a verse in uh, John chapter 3 verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Can we not believe this scripture also? Is this one of less effect? Having the same love. Oh, yes. To be of one mind is a Bible mandate and requires talking about and being unified in everything. Recently, we had a conversation at a brother's meeting. And um, Brother Mark Hurst in... Presenting the subject, says, well, says, we need to talk about this. But we're not planning on making hard and fast statements, hard and strong statements about this. We need to consider it. And we need to talk about it. And we need to think about this together and our values together. But on this one, we're not going to make any hard and fast statements. Well, that's thinking together too, isn't it? You know, 
we're going to present some principles and some bases of operation here and some things that concern us, but we're not going to nail everything that pertains to this thing down. We're going to have some operating latitude here. But at least we're able to talk about it. And the brethren say, oh, this is how I feel about it. Well, this is a concern that I have in such and such a situation. Okay. Well, we hadn't really thought about that aspect of it. And another one says, well, we have a concern over here, and we're just, you know, like to see some things heading in this direction. It had to do with young, woman, young women working, for, uh, working jobs outside the home for, uh, you know, it's a regular job. That was the subject. And so to think together, to think alike, does not necessarily mean you have to nail everything down into a hard, fast, but we are of one mind thinking together. Is this congregation choosing the values, applications, and examples of the elders and the deacons here? Now I'm going to ask young people in the home, children of the ministers here, have you taken up and made for your own self what you know dad would prefer? What about the congregation? Are you know, do you know there's some things in your life that grieve the, the, the elders here, the leadership here? And they would really like to see it headed in a different direction. Do you know them? The scripture tells us to know them that labor among us. Do you know them? Do you admire them? Do you dress the way they do? Choose the kind of vehicle they would choose their kind of shoes <laughs> do you admire their walk with God do you admire their wisdom of counsel do you admire their meek responses their knowledge of the scripture and some say well I'm not following men and those same ones are following some fad star in many cases I'm just being who I am. But they've got their cues and ideas for how they dress, the values they're choosing, and the aim of their life from somebody else than their pastors. Is it so? We follow somebody. Almost no one has original thoughts. Jesus himself did. But the rest of us are subject to thinking thoughts that we got somewhere. I have a little grandson. He's about three years old now, and why is the, uh, is the word for today? Why? Well, it's just the way it works. Why? And why? And he wants to know why. And a lot of it has to do with simply he doesn't have the ability to come up with the why himself. He wants to know why, but, but what am I basing my why on? You know, uh, that, that starter, you know, turns the motor. Why? Um, well, you sort of get stumped. But what I'm saying is that all of us from little on up have had input and input and input and input in our lives. And then we have choices. What are we going to choose? What am I going to say? Hey, this is authentic and this is serious and this is important. Or is it, 
That's just old-fashioned, you know? And the society we live in is so against old-fashioned because your 1960 pickup just doesn't do what 2019 does. And it's old-fashioned, yeah. It might be a show model of some kind, but... You know, it, you know, and these men that have been around and had some concerns for a while, ah, they're just old fashioned. They need to get up to date, you know. No. This book is also old fashioned, but it's for today. Are you making disciples here? The church should be so clearly in order that she could unashamedly say, if you come here, you will be as we are. And do as we do. When there's unity like that, and there's hearts together like that, that are able to understand that the direction of our lives comes out somewhere. And the issues that pertain to our day are not just any, meeny, miny, mo. you know, pick whichever one you want. They are eternal issues, many of them, many of them. And for the church to be able to be guided through to end up with the Lord Jesus in glory, it takes some walking with God and not just doing our own thing. You should also here have a vision for raising up preachers and teachers. Go through a book study of David's Berceau, David Berceau's plain speaking and give your young men assignments. You have fellowship meals here? That's an idea for something you can do, is study plain speaking. Speaking plain. That when you get done, people haven't wondered, well, what was his main point? What did he talk about? Maybe they're wondering that tonight. And give your young men assignments. 15-minute sermons. You need to have a clear structure, a beginning, main body, and a closing needs to be comprehensive and up to 15 minutes. So in an hour and a half on a Sunday afternoon, you can have six of your young men preach messages. And David Rousseau um, um, suggested uh, the um, uh, subject of covetousness. And that one year, we had all our young men preach a short message on covetousness. And you think, well, you're going to hear the same thing over and over and over. It was so interesting. It was the same subject, but it come at it this way and come at it this way and explained it this way. And it was, yeah, it was far from boring. And we sat and listened and were edified. See, we need the word of God preached to us. And even if it's not a new subject, where is my heart in relation to what's being preached and what's being taught? Unashamedly make a goal as a church to raise up men who will be a useful contribution to any congregation. I heard of a young sister who was asked in a courtship, and this was the uh, thrust of this conversation. She was asked in a courtship proposal, are you aware that he is called to the ministry? He's 
He's a mature young man and likely is going to end up in a ministry. Are you aware of that? And she said, yes. God dealt with me about that a year ago. That I was called to be a minister's wife and I'm willing for it. I'm willing to make the sacrifices that go along with it. I'm willing to stand by him as the Lord leads us. Oh, that God would put that conviction upon us again. Do we have any idea what God would do in us and how precious His presence would be if this could be the unhindered habitation of God? And some of this coming together and working together and actually getting as practical as practical application. That's an inappropriate thing to wear in this congregation. I'm talking about getting that practical. And people, oh, I didn't realize What changes would you like me to make? You know, what's the spirit of what you'd like to see? I'd really like to understand what your heart is and what your vision is. What what would you like to see happen here? If that can't happen, see what happens when we have differences and we're unguidable and we're not willing to um, be taught and whatever, then, then what happens is there's barriers between us. There's tensions between us. And when there's tensions between people, and we're seeking to worship God together, and there's a pushing and unyieldedness, God won't come in here and dwell in His beautiful peace. May we get a vision. We want to follow God in all of what we find right here. We don't really, I don't think I have any idea what God would do if He could more fully dwell in our congregation at home an unhindered habitation of God, if we would personally seek to grow in all the good fruit of the Spirit, is it a burden or a concern to you that there's a lack of the fruit of the Spirit in some area of our expressions and things that happen? I just ask you here this evening, who are you following? Who are your mentors? Who do you look at with a sparkle in your eyes? If we were fully being disciples and making disciples, what would happen here? Will this church have leaders to carry it to deeper devotion or will it drift? I'd like to give an invitation tonight. If you feel the Lord has spoken to you, I apologize for taking so long to say what I had on my heart. I... Uh, Think maybe I didn't study it well enough. But if you feel the Lord is speaking to you about something, either in this afternoon's message or this evening, I'd just like to give you an invitation. Um, I don't know what's best. If invite someone to go upstairs and pray, you want to come up here and pray. I think we we'll just invite you to come up here and pray. Um, I think we'll just have the song leader lead a song, and I'm going to take my seat. If you feel the Lord is speaking to you, you're welcome to come up here and pray. And uh, I think Brother Larry and Brother um, Elvin will give guidance and direction to it later. Could we stand together? And um, what shall we sing, Brother? 629. You just mind what the Lord's saying in your heart.